I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Welcome to Musonomics. I'm Larry Miller from the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt. It's a kind of collaborator that doesn't have an ego. That was legendary songwriter and guitarist Vernon Reed from Living Color, referring to AI. Vernon is a music technologist and an active participant in using the tools of AI both in music as well as in the visual arts. The topic of AI in music, to state it plainly, is the biggest story in the world right now. Many issues remain undefined, especially when it comes to rights, royalties, and permissions to use the music and voices of legendary artists to train the AI in making new tracks. The Wall Street Journal and the industry trades all covered the announcement that Universal and YouTube plan to collaborate on product development, principles guiding the use of music in AI programs, and create new ways to pay artists whose work is used in AI-generated content. Today on Musonomics, an exciting and open-ended conversation into the realm of artificial intelligence and its potentially profound impact on the music industry with special guest Vernon Reed. On this episode, I'm also joined by Brittany Foreman from Acceleration Music. Say hi, Brittany. Hey, everybody. Join us as we unravel how AI is being used and potentially revolutionizing the way we create, produce, and consume music. Oh, and our theme music today was, you guessed it, AI Johnny Cash doing a timely cover of Barbie Girl. Life in plastic, it's fantastic. Electric guitars, effects pedals, multi-track recording, synthesizers, digital audio workstations like Pro Tools, tools like Auto-Tune all at the time thought to be highly disruptive. Absolutely. Became important creator tools, Mm -hmm. for better or for worse. Absolutely. I think AI is going to have a similar path. I think there's going to be an early panic. I think there's going to be a lot of forgettable things that happen. There are going to be things like, ooh, you you did that. And at some point, someone, some artist who has no name right now is going to emerge that is going to do what, say, Bernie Worrell did for the Mini Moog in bass lines, you know, mean, you know, like using the Mini Moog for bass lines, like what Stevie wanted to do with Boogie on Reggae Woman. I love that tune because it's not reggae at all, right? Um, but the bass on that is fabulous. Or Herbie Hancock with Chameleon using the ARP. The early drum machines, the the beat to Sucker MCs, which was programmed by Pumpkin, who was a great real-life drummer. The 808 drum machine was a failed product by Roland. It actually was too expensive, and they wound up blowing them out at Manny's Mm. because nobody was paying $500 for it. I think they went down to a couple hundred bucks, and that was when the Soul Sonic Force, you know, play at your own risk. And from that point on, the 808 drum machine became a mainstay of R&B, hip-hop, of club music, you know, and hip-hop and rap music. So often, things that were accidents, you know, the first fuzz box was a torn speaker in Nashville, and that became a whole other thing later on. The wah-wah pedal is, is literally used in soundtracks to signify the urban scene. As soon as you're a wah-wah, you know, you're going to see an Applejack. You know what I mean? So there's that. Um, but a lot of these things, the drummers freaked out about drum machines. People freaked out about ADATs. You know, they, they freaked out about new technologies. And the technologies 
the entire history of the commercial music business is tied to technology. There's no way to sell the music. I mean, well, the first things was publishing, you know, I mean, printing. Mm. It was a technology that allowed for printed music to be disseminated amongst people. The player piano. Our impulse to sequencing a music box is a, se- is a sequencer. And the player piano, you know, ultimately led to someone like Conlon Nancaro, the amazing Mexican composer who made the impossible for humans to play music pieces. Conlon Nancaro, incredible uh, musician uh, that worked in a kind of automated, in a kind of automated milieu that wasn't there for him to compose to until the player piano was invented again and again and again. And I think autotune, you know, Jay-Z, oh my God, when Jay-Z said death of autotune, oh my God, you know, it's like autotune jumped up from the grave. Same thing with AI. AI is going to follow a similar path. I think it's going to be radically different in certain ways. But it's going to follow a similar path. How? When AI first comes out, you hear the, you know, fake Drake and people freak out about that. I think there's going to be a convergence of technologies. Number one, the, the ability to, to use lyrics as databases, as data sets. At some point, you know, we have a finite number of, say, Stevie Wonder records from the 70s, right? Uh, Music of My Mind from Philly's Personality, Talking Book, you know, those records. Incredible records. He used a finite number of words, syllables. He used certain certain words in cadence in, in a sequences, and it's, and that can be analyzed as a data set by itself. And I think it's entirely possible to request for lyrics for, of a Stevie Wonder song from the seventies that he never wrote, and a lot of that is going to be word salad. But out of that like a song that's really credible. And the same thing with the voicings of chords, same thing with melodies. These are data sets. And at a certain point, the technologies are going to exist to be able to use the data set to create a quote-unquote original works, like works that Stevie Wonder didn't write the lyrics for. He didn't, you know, play those chords or those melodies. And because we're still part of the interface, you know, Producers are going to go, that's terrible, that's terrible, that's good, that's good, that's really good. And so the danger, well, danger in quotes, about AI is not the stuff that you can overlook. It's when we hear those songs that move us, that get inside of us, and that's going to happen. Will AI be able to create a happy song that makes us sad or a sad song that makes us happy? I could tell you from my interactions with ChatGPT4, I've made requests for metaphorical things, and I've been completely stunned with some of the results. Like things that abstract thinking, because it relies on this large data set, you would think that the things would be mechanical or cliched. But I've had my jaw dropped wide open. You know, I, I had a premise for a story. I said, I'd just give it the title. And then suddenly I would see something like, oh, man, that's really good. And and I'll say, okay, that's a problem. I don't like this or that. And I, I would say, you could say, does it work? Does it not work? Thumbs up or thumbs down or mm-hmm. thumbs sideways. And you could say, you know what? Try this. Add that. Do this. A little more complex. And then hit return. Hit enter. And within seconds... Suddenly, there's a new version of what you requested. And I found there were things that were moving. There were things that kind of worked. And, and that's, 
I think that's entirely within its ken now. In terms of lyrics, it's entirely within its ken right now. I'm thinking about Hal David. Like Hal David was just masterful. Burt Bacharach's co-writing part. But of course, mainly, you know, Burt Bacharach, incredible composer. But those words, you know, you could go say... A house is not a home. Well, a house is not a home is an incredibly moving lyric, but it's also a kind of philosophical question, as well as being linked. You know, a chair is still a chair, even when there's no one sitting there. A chair is not a house, and a house is not a home. And the and you know, and these kind of association, it's a kind of association thing. And it's emotional, but it's a, actually a very intellectual. It's also an intellectual thing. Well, we could take that kind of metaphor and ask ChatGPT to make a similar metaphor, and it will do it in seconds. And the first ones could be corny or off base, but you keep regenerating, and eventually this technology will spit out something that's as moving as a house is not a home. So potentially fantastic creative tool? Potentially a great collaborator. It's a kind of collaborator that doesn't have an ego. You don't have to play nice with it. You could say that doesn't work. And it just does the next thing. As a collaborator, it's incredibly seductive mm. because something that doesn't work, you just say it doesn't work. You don't have to play passive aggressive games. You don't have to do weird. You don't. No, you just. No, you don't have to give it a compliment. You don't have to that. give it a compliment. You don't have to. You know, it's ah, not not. And it'll just do the next thing. And it's in the regeneration process. Like it may be not be in the fifth regeneration, but it doesn't tire. It doesn't suck its teeth at you. <laughs> We'll just do it. So on the 10th generation, regeneration, mind you, you have all the previous regenerations to combine. And that's where it as a collaborator, if you're stuck with things, I'm a little leery of it in the sense that like I have a bunch of like, I just have a chorus. I just have the first, I just have a first verse. Now I've done things with kind of with prose and you know, I'm a sci-fi guy. So I've come up with science fiction things and I've been like, holy cow. And my next thing is to complete some songs. Now, the, the thing to be aware of, and a lot of people when are tired of the talk of AI, it's the latest flash in the pan, right? Mm. The thing that people need to realize is that the AIs are their warehouse. They're sequestered. Like all the chat you're seeing from the developers, the AIs are not out in the wild, they're really not. Like, uh, ChatGPT is limited to 2021. Its information doesn't go past that. Bard is not really out. It's not doing search. They're developing it for search, but they haven't released it into the wild. And what people are talking about are the potentialities when these AIs are released into the wild. And at that point, the amount of control, if the certain controls aren't put in place now, it all of us clever people interact. We're training it each time we interact. So every time I go, you have a premise for a treatment for a thing, and I go through all those generations, you know, they're there. But each generation, my every thumbs up, thumbs down, I'm training it. And to wrap our minds around, millions of people are training these AI Entity. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want to anthropomorphize. That's the other part of it, is the temptation to anthropomorphize is very strong. And that's one, if there's a dangerous aspect, it's not so much what it's doing, how we're going to respond to it, how we make the collaborator become 
a quote-unquote friend. I mean, trained researchers have fallen into it. They had a researcher at Microsoft that said, I might, you know, my thing, it's sentient. It's like, he knows better. He knows this, and he still fell into it. So people that don't have training at all are going to interact with collaborators that are going to seem like genies. And that thing, alert, that alert thing Congress. hasn't happened yet in the video, right? <laughs> right. It, right. Like, filmmakers have not been directly threatened. But at a certain point, utilizing, you know, this exponential computing power, this coding power, that's the – again, these things have been siloed. They've been siloed. And the nervousness around the unsiloing of the technologies, because we're talking about something that's very, in a way, very speculative, because we can see the glimpses of it. You can see glimpses, but it's not out here wreaking havoc. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of caught in the box. But the thing about it is, it's like, okay, we're going to let it out the box. That's what they're saying. That's what the folks are saying. We're going to let it out the box. In other words, we need to make the mistakes in order to fix it. We're not going to be able... To fix it before we make the mistake. It's a chicken or egg situation. So whatever, whatever single, like, okay, we're going to talk about this. So it's almost like somebody goes, okay, I wanted to talk to you about something that might make you mad. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what it is. What's the implication for the music industry's response so far? I think the music industry, well, think about it. When Steve Jobs came in and said, I love music, you know, people didn't pay it any mind. They didn't really take, he's a, he's a computer geek and one day, it's like Apple was the biggest retailer in music. Right. You know, the industry was blindsided. The industry is blindsided by the streaming services. Here's something that's remarkable to me. The fact that the LP exists at all mm. is extraordinary to me. And it has a cachet. The fact that the LP— the You mean physical, vinyl 12 vinyl, records? The, the vinyl record. The fact the vinyl record should not exist. By a certain logic, it shouldn't exist. And yet it does. All the press, pressing plants are to capacity. Mm. So some there's another value, even as it was being taken away, like my 19-year-old daughter, you know, having a Steve Lacey album is like, what? I'm like, going, wow, that. You know, the fact that that is a thing and her and her friends, you know, because one of the things, and I'll tell you, any company that's putting out records should say, you know, if you don't want to be tracked, if you don't want to be followed, buy a record. If you want to enjoy music with your friends and not be advertised to, buy a record. And there's going to be a powerful counter movement to all of the things we're talking about. You know, even as privacy vanishes, there's going to be a sliver that goes, you know what, I value my privacy, right? So there's going to be that, but that's not going to be the mass. But the fact that it is persistent says something about how we ingest music and the things we need, the, the fact that the album art means something. Now, that's, I would have thought it's just a bunch of old dudes like me, but younger people are also finding a value in it. And what about deep metadata? that describes how the record was made. And if artists are using AI tools, maybe that's cool. Is there an ethical obligation to disclose that? You know, the thing, so much of this comes back to things that we're very difficult to talk about, like morality. Like if you really support an artist, right, then you either buy a download, buy a t-shirt or buy a coffee mug, you know, because there's a very real effect. I think that there's something, I, you know, it's difficult to speak against the gorilla in the room, like the, the big streaming services. They pay a pittance. Mm. They pay a effing pittance. Mm. And there's something about that that's deeply, deeply wrong to me. 
and fans know that. Real fans kind of are confronted with a certain kind of moral question to really support the artist. And companies sometimes play on that, too, because they because they can be getting the bulk, you know, the lion's share of the money, which has always been a problem. So the idea of as these tools become just completely detached from the physical and the actual, they, these questions are going to be even more important. But if we're in a kind of amoral, this is why the whole idea of what truth is, and I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but but that. That is a, a powerful thing. You know, I've recently been reengaging with some of George Orwell's essays. Mm. And um, this is not new stuff. <laughs> this is not new stuff about the, the nature of what truth is and reality itself. And, and uh, you know, and we're grappling with a lot of that. And we need to grapple with that within our industry. We need to grapple with that within our work. Those are much larger kind of questions, but they kind of are informative of the sweep of things, like the general direction things are going. And those are tough. We're not going to answer that in this. We're not going to answer that in this podcast. Keep up on all the latest news and trends driving the music industry by subscribing to our free newsletter at Musonomics.com and subscribe to the Musonomics podcast wherever you listen. In the context of music creation, what are some of the ethical considerations or challenges that arise with the increasing use of AI? Well, outright plagiarism. You know, plagiarism is going to be a concern because it's sweeping through these large data sets and coming up with predictive phrases. At a certain point, a predictive phrase is going to be an exact phrase from a song or so. So that's, I, I think, going to be a concern about plagiarism, even though AI is going to also be used to kind of catch plagiarism as well. That's what's happening in the education space. Sure. In the education space, basically, a student's writing is compared against, you know, their writing before ChatGPT and their writing after ChatGPT. And all, all of a sudden, a student who is a C-level student is writing with amazing erudition, and, and the teachers are checking it, too. Well, see, the issues with, with plagiarism, people are going to, people that are knowledgeable about, say, soul music, R&B, knowledgeable about metal lyrics, whatever, they're going to say, you know what, that's a line from blah, blah, blah. People that know the subject will, you know, if they're empowered to to listen, to analyze, because that's going to have to become a function. Like, before AI songs are released, I think there's going to have to be a kind of vetting process. And maybe that vetting process is aided by AI, but maybe controlled by people that actually know the genres. And, you know, they, they, they know the blues genre. Now, the thing about that is artists have been swiping, <laughs> artists have been swiping from each other forever, right? Like people have been taking one line from this and one line from that. You know, that whole idea about who stole the soul, you know, that, that, that was happening on the Chitlin circuit the whole time. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> People have been trying to get to get and, and country music, you know, that it, it's rife with it. So this is just making it a hyper, uh, it's super fast process. But I think that that's going to have to become a part of the, you know, just like clearing samples. There's going to have to be, you know, are these lyrics legit? Are they do these lyrics not exist anywhere? And, and the other thing is the sheer glut of generation is going to be daunting. We're talking about 
hundreds of thousands of capable, clever, smart, emotional, you know, gifted artists are going to have this tool. So part of our issue that we have is we have too much of everything. Right, they too much. It's like the sense of too much and not enough slots. Maybe a crowding out effect happens on the streaming service. Maybe don't get me started on the streaming service. <laughs> you know the Darwinian aspect of it, because TikTok is a kind of Darwinian experiment yeah. on a level. Right, popularity yeah. is a. So where does the artist that's quirky and left of center where do they fit in? You know, um, there's an artist on YouTube named Ren. You know, and remarkable. You know, and what he's doing, one of the things that he's doing, it's funny because Lauren Hill did this with her solo record, and she literally said, all it says on the record, oh, she's playing guitar and rapping. And she said, well, I ain't trying to be a, a folk rapper. And I said, that's exactly what you're doing, and I'm here for it. And this character, Ren, he's got an acoustic guitar, he's obviously well-trained, and he's playing these ostinatos, and he's rapping against them, and it's mm. completely bonkers. And it's, it, it's just him in a room. And he's talking about his mental illness issues. Mm. And he's tremendous. I've only been exposed to a couple of things he's done, but he's very, very impressive. And that's a kind of thing that's so outside of the realm of technology, but is very affected by technology. He's taken in all his music and he's reduced it down to barest essentials. And I think outliers like that are going to start coming to the fore. But we have another problem, and that is our attention spans have been hijacked. Basically, our perception of the time we have to devote to things has been utterly hijacked by behavioralists who are hired by the social media magnates. So the AI is going to be another aspect of our sense of attention being hijacked. And that's uh, our engagement, the fact that something makes us mad, and that's what engages us. We get outraged, and that's what engages us. That gets metastasized. And that gets metastasized, right? So our, as a creative entities, and as well as the, the people receiving as, as audience members, we're, we're going to be under assault. There's a lot of desperate people. They want to be the ones, we all want to be the one, right? It's like Warhol talked about 15 minutes of fame, and now that 15 minutes is, you know, if we can get 20 seconds. You know what I mean? And that thing is going to just accelerate. It's going to be accelerated. As we talk more about AI and about how emotions can be played, what do you think AI can enhance or hinder about the emotional aspects of musical expression? Well, so much of it is about the human factor Weirdly enough, you would think that with AI, the human factor is going to be sidelined. And I actually think in a certain way, the human factor is going to be enhanced in the sense that so many, so much competent, so much verbiage, right? So much competent verbiage is going to be put out there. Only the things that move, the things that feel authentic emotionally are going to work. Only those things, like, like I said, AI can produce versions of a, of a house is not a home with other words, but it's only the ones that resonate that are going to, and it's the same deal with any kind of songwriting. Interestingly enough, the challenge of what AI can just put out there is that like a lot of dumb things, like crap rhymes that were do, done for like commercial purposes, that's completely automated. Like holiday movie plots, 
and I know that the right right now the writers there's a huge concern mm-hmm. about AI who gets to use it how is that going to be utilized what's the writer's role going to be and part of what's going to be is like we're going to have to go you know that's working that's not working one of the things uh, you know there is a hip hop producer I'm not going to name but you know he's not an engineer he's not you know he's not a theor- theoretician but his whole thing was oh that's dope and He's incredibly successful because he's the person that says, because his his sense of taste and his sense of history in terms of records, for him to go, yo, that's dope. It actually has currency, right? And in the AI space, something akin to that is going to come into play. I'm feeling that. I'm not feeling that. And mind you, it's been spit out. But the thing is, this technology is using human data sets, Right. So all of our function and dysfunction is the grist for its mill. So all of the things that are working, all the dysfunctional things, all of our dissembling, all of our, you know, pretense are all there for it to kind of jumble and mix master and put into syntax that works. At at the end, we're going to be, well, for a time, we're going to be the arbiters, but understand as we are the arbiters, we're this. We're also training. It's this. These technologies are not static, and that's the thing. Like as a guitarist, and I use I use a, a, a device by Line Six Helix, right? And the whole thing since about two thousand and seven, various you know Boss, Roland, you know uh, Fractal, you know various companies, Line Six have been doing this thing called modeling, where you get you get a virtual amp. You can get a virtual, every component. So voice cloning. Voice cloning is here. And of course, everybody's heard the fake Drake and fake week, you know, fake weekend thing. But the thing to bear in mind is these technologies are evolving and evolving and evolving. There's a service right now. You can rent a clone of an actor in fact, you, if you haven't seen the Black Mirror, the, mm. the you know the season, the current season of Black Mirror, you have to see the current season. You know, Joan is awful. You, you the the first episode, kind of speculative, very speculative, but the idea of computing five generations beyond where we are right now, photographic evidence is going to be highly suspect. I mean. We're seeing the dawn of certain things. Now, you know, like generating AI-generated images are becoming very worrisome to art professionals. And as the there's a lawsuit now because the AIs have been trawling the, the images that, that have been used to train violate copyright. The coming lawsuits that might occur in the music industry where unlicensed material is being used to train AIs. I mean, we can anticipate this, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we can, you know, at a certain point, artists, not just modern artists, but artists from, you know, estates are going to have to be concerned with, you know, does the Sinatra estate want Frank's voice on a trap track? Are they cool with that? Ludicrous. But if a track is put together that's actually banging, that's, Frank Sinatra from the grave, what's that going to be? You know, like we, we're going to move past the hologram of Tupac yeah. because now we can have new Tupac songs with Tupac's actual voice rhyming. 
What about consent? That's a huge issue. That's going to be a huge issue. I think many clever people are going to, you know, some attorney who's a kind of artist will find a way to craft a framework of language that's digestible. You know, at one point, the sampling situation, it was the Wild West. Mm. It was wide open. You know, Three Feet High and Rising, you, you know, the great De La Soul record, a record that is pivotal. I mean, that record was made for like less than $10,000. You know, they had no money, you know, they had no money. Prince Paul was running around. And just the fact that Prince Paul had such a deep cultural knowledge and they were able to do into the, reconfigura- the reconfiguring, recontextualizing of these hooks, like Say No Go, you know, from Hall and Oates. I mean, it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. But the Turtles, they tried to do something, with, and the Turtles said, nope. And that was the beginning. Well, consent. That was the beginning. So the idea of consent, and consent is going to be hugely impactful, hugely important. And I would say, like, Chaka Khan's people right now, they need to be thinking about, okay, because her, she's the voice of, she's one of the voices of her generation, right? And the idea of Chaka disembodied from the woman herself, I, that's, an example of something that needs to be really thought about by her people. It just has to be. And I don't know what the answer is immediately, but some framework around iconic voices, it, it's going to have to be dealt with. No business, legal, or ethical frameworks yet on these uses, right? And are we living through, as some alarmists have written, a Napster moment in the music industry? I would say no, but we can see it coming. That's why there's all these congressional hearings. Sam Altman is a name we know like Steve Jobs. Mm. Like Sam Altman is going to be the Steve Jobs of the situation. That's why the whole notion of deep fakes going into a presidential election is very... Frightening. Very concerning. And it trickles down to where the artists are and say there's a beef between two artists. Mm. Say there's a beef between someone releases a track, and you know how it go. Like somebody's going to decide to talk about somebody and their mama just because they, whatever happened. Well, if you have also cloned voices that can be deployed, I mean, I, we don't, I don't know where that goes. <laughs> that can get, that can get really hairy really quickly. The last attempt of a trap rapper didn't go so well for the label that put it out, but it can happen. It's kind of interesting. And I'd love to hear your take of like, who do we think is responsible for figuring out these frameworks of like, or do we just keep pushing like this past label to see what will work before there's an outcry of like, no, that AI doesn't work. Well, all AI generators are not the same. You have spent a little time with the visual art generators, and some of them are really fast, some of them are really slow. It's weird to think about, it's not like Skynet, right? Because James Cameron, bless his heart, had a a, kind of naive understanding of capitalism. It's not going to be a single company doing all the things. It's going to be a bunch of companies, Mm -hmm. a bunch of entities vying for market share. There already are. Right. That's what's happening. In almost every application, right? Image generation. Image generation. Lyric generation. Right. Melody generation. Exactly. And some things are just going to be ham-handed and not that good. Most of it's going to be not that good. 
there's going to be a coding Mozart that shows up. There's going to be someone that has a deep, you know, in the, in the, in the movie, the matrix, Morpheus says there was the first person born in the matrix who was able to make the matrix. He freed the, freed the first of us. He was able to make the matrix do what he wanted. You know, they're going to be creators in, in quotes, creators, someone that's grew up with video. They've never not, it's not like technology that, that came into their lives. They've been around this tech all the time and they understand it. They understand it. At a certain point, someone that's not just connected to that, but is connected to real life and emotions, someone is going to emerge, a person who is going to be able to edit, create. They're going to be able to prompt. They're going to write the prompt that does the thing. And the person that can write that prompt that does the thing that other people can't get to, they're the, the producer, the entity, the human interface that's going to make the most of these technologies and is going to also anticipate as they converge. There's, you know, because we're, we're really talking about a kind of um, a kind of pop singularity where melody generation, chordal generation, lyric generation, vocal modeling are going to converge. And that's when it's going to be what the hell just happened. As the music industry embraces AI, it will need to address various challenges, including ethical considerations, consent and ownership concerns, transparency in AI-generated music, and potential biases in algorithms. Striking the right balance between AI automation and human creativity will be crucial for preserving the authenticity and emotional depth of music. While AI offers numerous opportunities for the music industry, it also raises many concerns Issues like deepfakes, copyright implications of AI-generated music, the potential for less originality in compositions, and the impact on employment for musicians and producers are subjects of ongoing discussions and debates. What we know is that there are powerful AI tools available, and they're getting smarter each day. There's a potentially fruitful balance of collaboration between AI and music creators, but only time will tell how this technology will be used and defined and accepted in the business culture and among fans. The Musonomics Podcast is produced by Musonomics LLC, strategy consulting and analytics for and about the music industry. Many thanks to our guest, Vernon Reed. Technical and audio production this episode from Alfonso Hernandez and Alex Blasek, with editorial production by Joseph Vela for the NYU Steinhardt Music Business Program. Our theme music is by Piotr Garbazonic. If you like what you've heard on this episode of Musonomics, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It only takes a minute and is so important in helping new listeners find our pod. Follow us on the service formerly known as Twitter at Musonomics. I'm Brittany Foreman. And from the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt, I'm Larry Miller. Thanks for listening. The next stop is 8th Street, NYU.